Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is former Apple Engineering Director of Internet Technologies, Don Melton. Don, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. For the listeners, Don Melton is probably best known as, as he describes it, the person who started the Safari and WebKit projects at Apple. These days, he's an aspiring writer, podcaster, and recovering programmer. We'll get into that. So you've had an interesting career. I'm looking at your bio on the website, and I read that growing up, all you ever wanted to do was be a comic strip artist. Scott Adams, maybe? Maybe you missed your calling. Well, he wasn't. Scott Adams wasn't around when I was a kid. Uh, uh, the, you know, that was uh, Charles Schultz uh, oh, uh, yeah. days. But also comic books. I mean, I was a big fan of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and everything else like that. And uh, so I did... Um, lots of drawing I, I had a natural talent for drawing i mean i could just always draw what i could see and uh my sister was a, a writer so she really encouraged me to draw her s- wacky stories that she would come up with and stuff like that that's a special uh, gift I, to be able to draw what you see i can't do it uh yeah you know it's uh i realized i guess when i was in first grade and we had some a uh, class project where we had to draw a pumpkin uh, for uh, you know this is Halloween. This is the you know first month we were in class, and so I sat down on the construction paper and I drew a, a pumpkin. And I looked around at the other class members, and good God, these kids couldn't even draw a circle. <laughs> uh, and so I, yeah. I realized, I realized, oh my God, I'm one of the X Men. Uh, so. Uh, my parents special power really encouraged yeah special power and uh, encouraged me and got me lessons with a fine artist and stuff like that so I learned you know chiaroscuro and perspective and all that other kind of stuff but uh, that kind of so, drove yeah. you into the newspaper business did it not uh, yeah because uh, that was the one place locally I could get a job doing that because underground comics which I was also doing at the same time uh, didn't pay. Uh, so I worked in the newspaper business, and when I moved out of uh, the area where I grew up, I, I went to work at another newspaper, and that's that's where I also discovered uh, computers because I um, I pioneered using uh, the Macintosh for information graphics at newspapers. I was one of the half a dozen or so insane people at various newspapers around the United States who were. Uh, using the Mac, even in the days before uh, the Laser Writer, uh, to do it. When the Laser Writer came out, I conned a local business land, because I knew the guy who worked there, a local business land uh, store, to lend me a Laser Writer over the weekend so I could do all my work at the Orange County Register with it uh, to convince my boss to actually buy one for me because the Mac I was using was my own Mac. I kept hauling it into. Uh, you weren't the only one who did that. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a common story amongst the uh, amongst, amongst amongst the poor schnooks like us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how I, I got into that and uh, into computers. And then um, I bought the first computer. Wanted to do you know really fancy computer graphics with it. Uh, my first Apple II and. Um, uh, I spent an enormous amount of money for it. This is before the Mac, and uh, 
and I realized it couldn't do what I wanted it to do. And I had borrowed the money from my dad and I felt really, really bad because it was a lot of money. It was like five grand. And uh, so the Apple II kind of languished for a while until I got sick one three-day weekend. And I think it was Labor Day weekend um, back in like 1980 or 1981. And I didn't have anything else to do except play Nasser Jabili's Space Eggs. Uh, so I... I realized I had an AppleSoft programming uh, manual that came, you know, with a computer back then. So I floating thought, point that? basic. Yeah, floating point basic. And so I started playing with it. I didn't realize you couldn't learn programming that quickly. So I, I was having a blast, you know, stuck in my my bedroom with my Apple II and the next morning I started getting really fancy with it and I bombed one of my programs into the machine language monitor and it was like oh what are all these funny <laughs> numbers with letters in them and so I, I started teaching myself machine language programming you know so many of us day. have gone down that road I did, I did myself with an Apple II and machine language graphics yep. you don't see that yep. anymore on iPhones and iPads. It's it's you can you can install Pythonista, sort of get your head around Python a little bit programming. But by and large, that Apple II gateway into the machine innards and machine language and basic and programming doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's really sad. There's no there's no dime bag, uh, you know, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, it was the it was the gateway drug to real software engineering, and um, and you know that's the way that's the way I started. And you know, if you learn programming that way, uh, it can be both very beneficial and very detrimental uh, because you learn to be very resourceful and you learn to understand how the machine works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing you have to realize it's it's also detrimental because there are some things they do teach you in a computer science class, which I've never had, uh, that can be uh, very helpful later on. Of course, I met uh, later on in my career. I met uh, you know computer science graduates that you know couldn't write a for loop to save their lives. Um, um, but you know I've also met people that went the entire classical programming route and you know they're brilliant uh, i mean they you know they have the uh, phd after their name and stuff and i certainly leverage their talents but you know i've met other people like myself who basically were uh, college or even high school dropouts that uh, were just wonderful engineers so it, it takes all kinds i'm but curious about your transition to crazy the- Excuse me. Yeah, I'm curious about, about your transition to the Mac because when the Mac first came out, it was very hard to get into the guts of it and program it. There was a Pascal compiler that came out. It was kind of awkward. It was years before the Lightspeed C compiler came out and you could start programming on the Mac. And then Code Warrior finally arrived. But it was a long time coming. And did you find yourself struggling when the Mac came out because it was so strong yeah. on graphics and so weak on getting into the guts uh, right. Uh, very much so. But uh, like I said, you know, being a, a hacker, I was very resourceful. I mean, I tried doing the same stunt with Microsoft Basic about um, 
uh, you know, stuffing uh, machine language code into data statements and calling it. <laughs> and you could get away with that somewhat. But the thing that saved me was um, back before uh, uh, ThinkC or uh, uh, Code Warrior or things like that, there was this thing called Consular C. And back before Consular C, uh, was the consular uh, assembler. And so uh, I got my hands on some of that stuff, and I will not describe exactly how I got my hands on that because there were, mm-hmm. in the original Orange County um, uh, mouse hole that we, we called the group of hackers that we were at, um, we didn't always follow the Marcus of Queensbury rules in, in terms of software acquisition. Uh, you know, they were resourceful. But I got that and I started teaching myself uh, 68K assembly language. It's already new, 6502. I mean, it wasn't a huge leap. Uh, and then I was doing C programming as soon as the consular C compiler uh, came out because having a, a true Pascal development system meant you had to have a Lisa back then. And right. I couldn't afford a Lisa. Uh, you know, I wrote the last 200 bucks in my checking account to make a down payment on the original Mac when it came out. I was like, you know, uh, flat broke after that. I had to figure out how to make the payments. Thank God I had a, a job at the Orange County Register. But um, uh, I just did uh, what I could with that. And I started, you know, contributing to some of the um, the programming zines back then uh sounds very days. similar to a lot yeah, of Mac, people i've interviewed yeah, yeah yeah you ever heard of mac tutor i think so yeah, yeah. yeah it was a it was a it was a little magazine that was published by some of the ner- the mousehole nerds those were the County. days when you could dig in learn the machine get a handle on it interact with groups go to computer uh, uh club meetings yeah, uh, get yeah. involved on the internet with uh uh, dial-ins and, and be part of the community and kind of leverage your skills and kind of grow up with the machine. Glorious times. Oh, oh yeah. It's like uh, everybody I knew back then had typed in uh, uh, MacTep uh, terminal emulation program uh, by hand into Microsoft Basic so we could actually, <laughs> you know, so we could dial into BBSs and stuff on our Macs, you know. Yeah. Uh, somebody had published that. I think it was in... Byte, or I forget which uh, one of the other uh, big computer Macs back in the day. So there was discoveries to be made. You'd pick up a copy of Microcomputing or Byte or some other computer magazine, and you'd find an article, and you'd go, oh, oh, I can do this. And you start typing in code, and pretty soon you're up and running. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was was the School of Hard Knocks, the first actually paid programming job I had though was kind of odd was uh, it was patching other people's code Uh, there was a um, this was back when I was still working for the newspaper in Orange County before I'd moved up to the glory that is the Bay Area where the you know the promised land and whatever Uh, the programmer that had the code to the it was called Max Spell Plus or whatever it was this spell checker that fit into uh, Mac Wright in the day had walked off with the uh, source code and a new version of Mac Wright came out and the company that 
um, you know, sold the software, owned the software, uh, couldn't fix it to work with a new version of MacWrite. And one of the people I went to college with was a um, ex-girlfriend, actually, um, was working uh, there and said, yeah, could you figure out a way to fix this for us? And so I went in and it was that, you know, get under the hood mentality. I went in and patched the binary for them so they could run. And I got 50 bucks for it. And, you know, I thought, oh, now the big money's coming. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so uh, that was my first paid programming job, which was a reverse engineering job and then patching up binary. But it wasn't until I actually got to um, the Bay Area by uh, taking a job for uh, the San Jose Mercury News, I actually ran into... Uh, an old friend of mine from high school uh, who was doing a lot of the same stuff that you were doing back in the day, you know, working uh, at places like Lockheed, working, um, uh, working in aerospace, so to speak, you know, working on the star Wars project. This was back in the eighties. And he wanted to get away from doing that. And we ran into each other uh, at some uh, fanboy and fangirl gathering for Andy Hertzfeld uh, at uh, who was speaking at some small conference uh, and you know talking about Switcher and you remember Switcher right? I do yes and glorious and so uh, I was one of the nerds uh, you know fawning over uh, Andy and uh, my f- friend saw me there and we were like what the heck are you doing up here? What the heck are you doing? And so we started a business, of course, because, you know, it's Silicon Valley. That's what you do. You get three people in a room and, you know, you've got to file a DBA and uh, start an LLC. I mean, it's just what you do here. What company was this? Uh, I, <laughs> I forget. It's the Impulse Technologies, we called ourselves. And we were going to uh, build some uh, graphics uh, boards and software uh, and that didn't work out very well. So we wound up uh, hiring ourselves out as uh, as programmers uh, because we couldn't get the um, uh, you know consultants and programmers. And so we the wrote listeners a pay lot attention of- to this sequence because this is how you work your way through a career and get get elevated and get an infrastructure in your life. And this is how you move from one job to another and build up your career. Oh, so, this is totally a... Pay attention, totally listeners. A, yeah, it's, I have talked to so many people who, like, you know, belly up to the bar, talk about the number of companies they've been out that have just went toes up, <laughs> places they've been fired from. You know, it's like you're not really part of the environment up, up here unless you went through the ringer like this. <laughs> but we got... We actually managed to get... Uh, quite a few jobs i did a lot of typing while i was still working at the mercury news and um somebody found our business card on a uh, bulletin board and called us in uh it was somebody from sun microsystems uh actually tops remember tops file sharing not really yeah well nobody does so (laughs) i'm not offended at all but it was uh it was peer-to-peer network on Macs and PC networking on Macs and PCs where you could share files between multiple computers without having servers, right? So, uh, but Sun had bought them and they were in um, Alameda, 
So uh, they, I went there for an interview with my partner, and lo and behold, the founder of the company had used my code uh, from Mac Tutor that I'd written a couple of years prior. So we got the job. <laughs> that cool. was that cool. was the first regular paycheck as a programmer was there for Sun. Well, we've run out of time for the first segment. When we come back, I want to talk to you about your life and time at Apple and Safari. But first, we have to take this short commercial break. Folks, we'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us on Chatting with Don Melton. Today, our sponsor is Linode. Linode helps you design, develop, and deploy in the cloud. You can build dedicated CPU, distributed applications, hosted services, websites, and CI slash CD environments. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Linode is focused on simplicity, service, and value. The goal is to maximize the benefit you receive from your cloud by making it cost-effective to deploy robust compute, storage, and networking services that meet your ever-changing performance needs. Featured are native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and industry-leading processors. Pick from any of 10 worldwide data centers, including the newest in Toronto. Pay only for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. Plus, 24 by 7 live customer support is always just a phone call away. You'll be able to deploy and maintain your infrastructure simply and cost-effectively. Plus, Linode's tools make it easy to provision, secure, monitor, and back up your cloud. To learn more, visit linode.com slash bgm. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash bgm. And receive a $20 credit when you use promo code BGM2019. Thanks, Linode, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with former Apple engineering director Don Melton. So, Don, I want to talk to you about your life and times at Apple now and Safari, because that's what you're most famous for. How did you come to be on Apple's radar, and how did you come to get hired? Let's start there. Uh, Well, part of it was um, I had worked in Netscape back in the day on Netscape Navigator, uh, probably one of the seminal web browsers. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody, if you used a web browser back in the 90s, you probably wound up... I started actually with Mosaic and then switched to Netscape. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, so, so did I. Actually, uh, I started so, with Tim Berners-Lee's uh, rather buggy browser on a Mac. And then I switched oh, to Mosaic. Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that was very buggy. That was very buggy. <laughs> Uh, I remember uh, poo-pooing the World Wide Web the first time I saw it when I was working at Adobe back in the early 90s. It's like, how is this ever going to work? Because we were, we were playing with Tim Berners-Lee's uh, browser. not sure it was on a Mac. I forget what it was on. It was. But anyway. I was using it on Quadra 700. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so anyway, I'd worked on that uh, in the mid to late 90s. I wasn't, I wasn't like a founder or pre-IPO person at Netscape, so I wasn't what's called a mozillionaire. You know, I'd had, I had to work for a living. Uh, and uh, at the time, uh, after Netscape, um, I had left to work, uh, believe it or not, uh, alongside my idol, Andy Hertzfeld, on his company that he had started called Easel. He was doing software for Linux, the Linux desktop. We wound up doing the Nautilus file manager. That's one of the things I worked on there. And my boss was Bud Tribble. Oh, I know God, Bud. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's 
uh, Dr. Bud. So he's, mm-hmm. he's famous. In MD. Yeah, he actually is a medical doctor. Uh, it was funny being at conferences or other meetings and people coming up to Bud and, you know, uh, telling him about their medical problems. It's like, come on, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and wanting his advice, you know, treatment. Uh, so, uh, uh, and so, uh, and Bud, of course, was the manager of the original Macintosh software team back in the day. But anyway, getting back to Easel, uh, fun team, great people I met there, many of whom I would work again with later because I hired them. Uh, but just not the right time for that product. So we augured in hard into the desert floor uh, and uh, and died. And uh, so I had to I had to find another job to make uh, the house payments. And so uh, Andy had uh, I wasn't actually using Max a lot at the time there because we were on Linux. So I was using a lot of PCs and stuff. And Andy, bless his heart, lent me a Mac and said, have you, have you played with um, uh, uh, well, I guess it was barely even called uh, yeah, I guess they had just rechristened Mac OS X. Have you played with Mac OS X? Yeah, we had the and developer so I, previews and then, yeah. and then the beta and then Mac OS X in March of 2001. Right. And so it was it was that March or April that I borrowed a Power Mac uh, G3 tower from Andy and played with it for a while. And I went, wow, this doesn't wildly suck. And it's actually Unix underneath. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, it was really slow, uh, but uh, I thought this is promising. And so uh, when we were going under, I asked Bud, I was like, well, you know, I was thinking about it. Apple might not be a bad place to work. Do you know anybody over there? You could, uh, you could recommend me, you know, because I'm like semi-confident. Uh, I was the engineering director there actually at Easel, uh, working directly for Bud. He was the VP. And so he got me an interview with uh, uh, Scott Forstall, hmm. uh, the very famous Scott Forstall, who would become my boss. And I went in for the interview with Scott, and um, I'd actually interviewed at a couple of other places at Apple, too, in apps and stuff like that. But I really wanted to work in system software because I always had a thing for that when I was, you know, when I had just started out in Apple in the 80s, you know, make. Was building a browser at this point on Scott Forstall's mind? Is that what he had in mind for you? That is exactly what he had in mind. And it was funny how he approached that subject. Because I will tell you that story. So I go in to meet Scott, and his uh, administrative assistant says, um, you'll need to sign a non-disclosure form before you do the interview. And I was like, okay. Uh, You know, sure, because, like, I'm, like, out of a job. There's no risk at all to me unless, you know, they want to try to take my house if I violate something here. Uh, so I, uh, and I, I got to get a job. So I signed them on the disclosure form and I go in and we're talking and I have no idea what the position is for, mind you. And Scott's talking around things and he keeps inching the subject back to my time at Netscape <laughs> and how web browsers work and stuff. And so I stop him and I say, 
do you want me to build you a web browser? And he holds up his finger and he says, hold that thought. He hits the buzzer, calls his admin back in. She brings in a whole new longer NDA. <laughs> so I have to sit down there and, and Scott won't say anything to me. He's, you know, he's uh, say anything to me. He's like, read through it. So I sign it. She goes out of the room. We watch her walk out the door, shut the door, follow her. Scott turns his head and says, yes. This must have been so, early 2002, I'm guessing. Uh, no, it was, it was, this was uh, early, I want to say, or early May 2001. It was actually 2001. So for the listeners, there's a little bit of history here. When Apple shipped Mac OS X formally in March, late March of 2001, it was Sans web browser. And Microsoft was ready to the plate with a version of Internet Explorer. And so when Mac OS X was announced... Phil Schiller stood up on the stage, as I recall, and said, hey, yes, we have a glorious web browser for you. Guess what? It's Internet Explorer. Gulp, gulp. He smiled. We all had heartburn. And we we went ahead and used Internet Explorer because that's all Apple had at that point. And they must have paid Microsoft mightily to develop that web browser. So it was out two months later in May of 2001. And we all kind of sat on our hands and went, you know, what's Apple up to? But as you tell the story... Apple was already on track to solve that problem. Oh yeah, because it it uh, I wasn't there for the heartburn, but I watched them, you know, swallow a lot of tums afterwards <laughs> uh, when they uh, when they hired me. Uh, you know, they were not happy about that. But this is classic Apple. Apple wants to own their technology that they use. Right. This is you can just see this happening. Still now, I mean, it's the way they work. If Did Scott really is, understand the significance of Apple having its own web browser at that point, or was it sort of like, you know, well, we should do this. You know, we don't like Microsoft Internet Explorer. We kind of ought to do it. Or, or was it strategic? Did Apple really understand the significance of Safari for the future? I, I think Scott did, certainly. He understood yeah. the uh, significance. They had actually tried it uh, a year prior with another person because they had a um, a very bad HTML uh, display engine that would, had been done in-house um, uh, back in the day when, you know, for Next Step. And they tried to see if they could build a web browser on top of that. I did not learn about this until actually I had been at Apple for... Uh, at least a month that they had done this and that project was scrapped because the browser was so bad. I mean, it, it would not, uh, it would not render, uh, you know, it'd render HTML three and, uh, it wouldn't handle uh, CSS JavaScript or anything modern or that was emerging then. And it was actually probably even slower than, uh, internet Explorer. The big problem with internet Explorer was, one, that it was just a dog in terms of uh, performance. Uh, it ate a, an enormous amount of memory uh, as well. Uh, the other thing is they couldn't, you know, use the technology anywhere else. It was stuck inside Internet Explorer. So, and it was Microsoft's engine and baby. They couldn't 
plop that engine out and put it in another and, app. And so I recall Internet Explorer on the Mac was very good at connecting to Microsoft websites and rendered beautifully, but other websites, sometimes not so much. Yeah, sometimes not so much. But that said, about Internet Explorer, especially for the Mac, it had one of the best, at the time, uh, DOM implementations uh, around. It's uh, the document object model uh, was very, very cutting edge. Uh, it was quite good. Uh, CSS was not so good. Uh, cascading style sheet support. Uh, and um, rough compatibility with the rest of the uh, internet was just not to the same level as Internet Explorer for Windows. Uh, because they really were two different engines. Yeah, we uh, kind of inside. felt like um, Microsoft was favoring the Windows version of Internet Explorer to the point where we all felt the pain. So when Safari finally came out, we were so happy. The Mac world was overjoyed. Yeah, I think everybody expected uh, us to uh, select uh, Mozilla once the rumors were got out that um, uh, Apple might be doing their own web browser because it started bubbling uh, towards the end of 2002 because we revealed Safari uh, at Macworld Exposition on January 7th of 2003. Um, uh, And so, so it was pretty funny. Uh, what the reaction was when they learned that uh, uh, that we had picked uh, uh, a obscure uh, browser engine from an open source project, not Mozilla, uh, to be the uh, the core, and that was especially surprising considering uh, it was known at least among geeks in Silicon Valley that I had hired uh, David Hyatt from the Mozilla project away from uh, Netscape to uh, to work for us so there so, were there were uh, there were suspicions but I gotta tell you me picking uh, KHTML and KJS um, after uh, myself and my engineers and evalu- uh, evaluated all the choices you know I had to make the I had to make the call and on what we would use and so that was my call and I I lived with the accolades and curses for that for years because, you know, it would go back and forth because we were able to get it out so quickly. It was so lightweight and it was fast. You know, I was a genius, but uh, because much like uh, Mac Internet Explorer, though it was more compatible than Mac Internet Explorer, it still had compatibility problems. So I was a knucklehead, right? For having those, made that decision, those were very and, early days. So, was there a lot of top-down management input into what Safari should be like and how it should work and how it should look, or did they just know they needed a web browser and said, "Don, make it happen"? I, it really was more of the the latter part of you know make it happen. So, I figured they wanted it to happen in a year. It wants to be done in a year. It shipped in August and, of 2004. Uh, right? Well, actually, I counted shipping 
as January of uh, of 03 because that's when the beta came out because everybody was using it then oh, when okay. we finalized 1.0 in August of 04 that was like uh, that was just another version as far as hmm. the development team and Apple was concerned uh, but they wanted it in a year and I knew that we couldn't do it in a year uh, and I figured I probably had 18 months before they fired me uh, and almost to the day from the time they hired me to when we announced uh, the beta and we were like letting people use it, that was 18 months. So, so we actually pulled it off in 18 months. But uh, it was, you know, it was not hands-off management, but it was go do this, figure out how to do it. Apple was very good for letting you explore but you know they wanted to, they wanted to check in. I mean, one of the first things did that you we have did, to give like demos every week or? Oh two? yeah, no, nah, not it. It was more random than that in the beginning. I mean, we had to convince people that this was the right technology choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Richard Williamson, one of my engineers, who later uh, lead Mobile Safari. I mean, he's the person probably most responsible for getting mobile safari off the ground um one of my engineers uh managed to uh cobble together a just horrendous demo using the M, uh the engine and getting it to work in x windows because you know this was originally linux software getting to work in x windows and making it look like a mac application uh so that we could show uh then vice president of te- uh software avi tavanian uh the thing working uh and then uh once avi signed off on it then it was getting it into the state of a mac application and uh you know not only uh richard and ken kashinda who's who's actually written a book that mentions some of the stuff uh, uh talking about it um but john sullivan who is our first uh, prototyper on the app getting that app up and running so we could convince uh, vice president who worked for Avi, but he was uh, he was the vice president of software in charge of macOS, convincing him that we had a real Mac application that could run this code. That was uh, Bertrand Serlet. Oh, and yeah. so he was, we, we all uh, remember Bertrand. He was great. Oh, uh, Bertrand was awesome. Uh, so you worked on this whole, the Safari uh, from 2004 to 2012, roughly, right? Well, 2001 to 2000. Sorry. 12 till yeah, I left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Till 2000. Well, during that time, did you foresee or feel touched by the shenanigans that go on behind the scene by websites in terms of collecting information and tracking? Did you see that emerging as something that needed to be dealt with or not? Yes. Yes. We saw that. We started to see that emerging and wondering what we could do about that. Shortly after, um, I believe, 1.0, and that's when uh, Maciej uh, Stoloviak, who uh, runs WebKit now for Darren Adler, Darren took over um, uh, the reins of Safari and uh, WebKit together after I left. Um, uh, great people, by the way. Uh, Maciej was one of the people who um, who pushed uh, changing our policy with the way cookies worked back in the uh, the day. Uh, to reduce the amount of uh, uh, 
reduce the impact that uh, website cookies uh, could have on the browsing mm-hmm. experience and the amount of tracking. And he, he really continued to push that uh, kind of thing going forward. And many other engineers and, and um, uh, other folks uh, stepped up as well. Uh, it seems like out. Apple's only recently really kind of stepped up, perhaps in response to pressure from Firefox and Chrome in terms of Privacy? Individual privacy oh, and no, security. I, 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 you know, I saw it from the inside before I left. I mean, we were experimenting before I left with all kinds of things to um, uh, prevent tracking, to block uh, websites and stuff. Several things, um, even though my engineers came up with them, you know, I shot them in the head as not good enough. I mean, we had a whole... I mean, have you ever used uh, Ghostery, the Ghostery plugin? Yes, I used to. Uh, yeah, we we had a whole thing like that, but it was just too uh, complicated for users to wrap their head around. Mm-hmm. And actually, you, nobody wants to manage in a fine detail permissions on websites. So how do you do that uh, in a way that's transparent to users, that protects them? But and that they don't have to configure, but do it in a way that's, you know, organic and changeable and can learn. And it really wasn't until after I left where, you know, we had the machine learning tools and everything else like that, that uh, much smarter engineers than certainly me uh, could apply that. So it's not, you know, Apple was never sitting on their hands this way. They, they were always worried about this kind of stuff. Good to know. And there's, a, know. there's a lot of, there's an enormous number of features that went into, that did not go in, but that we created for uh, Safari, Mail.app, and other things uh, that never saw the light of day. So, well, We're starting to run out of time, and I want to get to a couple of final issues um, before we have to wrap it up. So in 2012, you sort of retired from Apple. What what brought that on? That's an interesting story. Uh, you know, actually, I I wrote, <laughs> I wrote about that on my uh, my blog. Yeah, I read uh, that. Yeah. A, uh, about a year after I I I left Apple, and it was really, um, you know, I I would joke with people when they would ask me because I I I would say you know because I could right you know I. But there's more to it. Yeah, there's more to it. I was done with working on these projects and working at Apple. I didn't didn't have it within me. I didn't have the ambition to, like, go farther. I did not want to be, you know, for example, the vice president of software. I did not want – and I did not want to continue doing the same thing and blocking other people who had more ambition than I did uh, from going forward. So I was like, I'm just going to step out of the way. I mean, I I was not, I was certainly not sticking a fork in my leg every day to come to work. I mean, it wasn't unpleasant or anything, but I was tired of the, it seems almost insulting to call it a grind, it was not a grind, but I was I was tired. Intensity. Of, Apple working yeah. for Apple can be intense, especially in the Steve Jobs era. Yeah, I often describe it 
to people, you know, they want to know what it was like. And I said, you know, it's sort of like working in um, a nuclear power facility. And I said, you know, people always say, well, you mean lab coats and lots of dials? And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, being inside the reactor. That's, <laughs> or the deck that's of an aircraft carrier where if you don't <laughs> pay attention, you die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, it's, I've talked to a lot of younger people who want to do some of the things like what I did or some of my peers at the time or whatever. And I said, I always tell them, I want you to realize what you're asking or what you're aspiring to. There's a cost mm -hmm. in it. It's a, it's a really kind of unpleasant Faustian bargain that you make. I mean, my son, uh, who's almost 30 now can tell you, I mean, there were quite a few years there. He basically just did not see his dad. Hardly at all. I mean, I, especially for the first few years at Apple, I, I basically lived there. Uh, and um, what that does to your, your mindset and your health and everything else like that. And, you know, so when the iPhone came along and people wanted to jump even harder on that, I'm like, whoa, 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 let's, you know, let's pace ourselves here, folks. <laughs> Uh, and I watched a lot of really good friends at Apple just uh, burn themselves completely out, uh, and they were they were just they were just no good anymore to themselves in the sense of you know or, or their careers. They they just pushed it a little too hard. So you you have to pace yourself if you're doing this kind of thing. Absolutely. But, but to do it really well at that highest level it takes an enormous commitment and I was I was just not willing to keep making that commitment I mean it's not a 9 to 5 job uh, I mean you know to think before you leap that's all I can say well this has been a fascinating story about your life and times and choices that you made and the skills that you built up and life at Apple and the development of Safari Thank you very much for sharing all this with me, Don. Oh, sure. It was, uh, it was a pleasure, and I, I blame Kelly Gamont, uh, Gamont for it all. <laughs> hmm. She sure, said you'd sure. be a fantastic guest, and you have been. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was, it was my pleasure. Thank you for the invite uh, here, sir. Tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish. Oh, uh, you can always contact me on uh twitter uh at don melton uh or on github come join me in development on some of my projects i'm cleverly also don melton on github and uh there's a test on my contacts page on donmelton.com where you can figure out what my email address is and if you figure that out you can contact me that way too all right cool well, thanks again for joining me. It's been a delicious and wonderful story hearing about the development of Safari, something that I had never heard before. And getting it directly from you has been a real joy. So, so thanks for sharing. No problem. Folks, you've been listening to John Marcellaro and Don Melton, former Apple Engineering Director of Internet Technologies. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>